So we are in a, a series right now called Emotional. Everybody say Emotional. Emotional. Well, we're talking about emotions because life can be emotional. How many people know life can get emotional, right? It can get emotional. And so we just want to take some time to talk about it. And, uh, and the first week we talked about joy. Last week, we talked about anger and being mad and being bitter and forgiveness. Some of y'all were really mad at me last week, preaching on being mad and letting that go, uh, but, but it was a good time. And so this week, I want to talk about um, how to keep the faith when life is exhausting, how to, to keep the faith when life is is exhausting. How many people know that there are seasons in life where life can just be exhausting? How many people have children? Let me see if you have children. Okay, so you know life can be exhausting. From the age of newborn to like 26, that season of your life, age can be exhausting. I hear mom saying, no, past 26. Um, you know, Andrew and I have two kids in diapers. Life is exhausting. Anybody got two in diapers right now at the same time? Anybody, anybody? Yeah, a couple of you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three in diapers. Whew, man. Just stretch your hands this way. Let's just pray. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, life can be exhausting. We cut, cut up about kids and parenting and all that stuff. But, you know, what really happens to us and, and what seems to cause us to struggle so often it's not just one thing, it's not just the second thing, but it's when three and four and five seem to all happen at the same time. And all of a sudden, your emotional reserve, your spiritual reserve, your soul is, is at empty. And, and, and you had faith, you had joy, you were trusting in God, everything was going good, but then boom, 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 boom. And the next thing you know, you, you feel like you got knocked out and you don't have any faith. I don't know that God is good. I don't know that I can trust him. I don't know that it's going to get better. You know, it's not one of my favorite verses because it's really kind of sad, but it's one that really stands out to me that I have written down in my office. In Psalm 39, when, when King David said to God, he said, but please stop striking me. I am exhausted by the blows from your hand. Sometimes it can feel that way in life, right? Sometimes you feel what David's saying there like, God, I'm exhausted. Can you stop striking me with the blows of your hand? If this is you blessing me, please stop blessing me. If this is you testing me, please stop testing me. Like, I just, I'm just exhausted. Um, Matthew 6, 34, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. How many people know that's true? I got enough trouble for right now. I can't really worry about tomorrow's trouble. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. You know, Andrew and I, two weeks ago, had just a crazy week. We told you about it a little bit, just the AC, then the dryer, and then kids got sick. And at one point, Andrea asked me, put it in the garage. She's like, what are you going to do about the, the van? I was like, I will get to it tomorrow. Like, I just, I just need to get inside. Like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out tomorrow. But I love Hebrews 11. Uh, verse 1 is really famous, but 1, 2, and 3. I love 3. Uh, Hebrews, Apostle Paul said, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command 
that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So I love this because Paul is saying that faith is hoping for something that you can't see. Faith is hoping for something that you can't see. And in verse 3, in other words, what he's saying is when you start losing faith and doubting faith and you see that tree in your backyard, just remember that tree came from nothing. That God said, let there be trees. So, so there was a time when, when, when you couldn't see it, but God created it. And so it's a reminder to us that faith is hoping for what we, we can't see. And so maybe today with what you're facing, maybe it's your marriage, your career, healing for your body, finding a spouse, having a baby, getting out of debt, finishing school, whatever it is that you're facing, maybe you can't see any way that it's going to get better. Maybe you can't see a resolution or a solution. Maybe you can't see how it's going to work out. Maybe you can't see how it's ever going to change. If you could see it, you wouldn't need faith. Faith is hoping in and believing in what it is that you cannot see, that I'm not gonna stay here forever, that this is just a season, that God's best plans are ahead of me, that I am going somewhere, that he is going to work this out. And it requires that we have faith and keeping that faith, even when life gets exhausting, even when we're having faith whiplash, back and forth, what's going on, God. And so I thought that the best way for us to really talk about this morning would be for you to hear just an unbelievable story of faith and exhaustion, both hand in hand, and uh, from some friends of mine, Josh and Allie Taylor. I knew Josh, met Josh uh, 12 years ago in Monroe, Louisiana. It was our first job, Andrew and I, as youth pastors. Um, and I lived in Monroe, and he lived in West Monroe, which they call the Twin Cities, but that's an overstatement. It's the Twin Exits. And, uh, and so, uh, but met Josh there. His, his dad worked at another church across town, and just got to hang out with him, got to know him a little bit, got to meet Allie once or twice. She was actually going off to LSU, going off to, to school. And, uh, and so we hung out a little bit, spent some time after we moved away, spent some time golfing buddies. And then over the last few weeks, just a really crazy story about how God has brought us back together. And their story is going to bless you so much today. So will you do me a favor? Put your hands together and welcome Josh and Allie Taylor. There you go. Just bring up the tissues. I got it right here. That's good. All the tissues are under your seats somewhere on the end aisle. Just get ready. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for... Are the microphones working? We good? Test one, two. All right, we're good. Thank you so much for, for being here and, and talking to us today. Um, why don't we just start with a little bit of backstory? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about six years ago when life was normal. Uh, before life got crazy. Give us a little bit of that. We were 26 and uh, 24 at that time. Uh, I was back, I was in essence an entrepreneur. I had a part-time job, but we were building houses. Uh, so we, we had literally in, I believe, August poured the slab for a new house for us to live in. And Yeah, 2011. We're living with my parents, which that's a whole element that's part of dear Lord saving us. Exhaustion. Um, <laughs> Probably more for them than us, but because uh, we weren't paying rent. <laughs> but uh, we were so we're, life's going good. Not nothing crazy good, nothing crazy bad, and we're building a house. You guys um, have been married for how long? At that point, we had been married five years. Five years. Okay. So Allie was about to go get her Ph. Start. That was the first semester of your Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy. So we were just two young 
people living life, nothing crazy, good or bad. Awesome. So, Allie, what, what happened after that? Um, so, we had... Am I on? Yep, okay, you're on. Yes. Okay, Let's good. turn her up a little bit, whoever's <laughs> no, back there. Um, so, we had started trying to have a family. We'd been married for about five years at that time. And through that process, I ended up finding a lump in my breast that ended up being breast cancer, which was a huge blow to us, not something we ever expected would happen. And um, we thought the next call we would be making to our family was telling them that I was pregnant, and instead it was telling them that I had breast cancer. And so immediately we got referred to MD Anderson Cancer Hospital in Houston, Texas. And from there we learned that I was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer, that my breast cancer had spread from um, its initial site. And that entailed a lot. Um, Our doctor told us that we did not have time to preserve my fertility and that there would be a good chance that I would not have children. But we decided to take each day as it came, like you just talked about, and we'll worry about tomorrow when we we get to tomorrow. And we did not enter into October 17, 2011 with that skill, for the record, of of taking today as it is. Sure. We, that was not something we, we talk about that today. We didn't own it back then. So a lot of people, Allie, when you say that, like when you said the word cancer, there was a lot of people in the room who have been there. Maybe they're there now, a family member. You know, we've gone through that in our family. Like when you get that phone call or you, you talk to that doctor, he gives you those results. Like what, and both of you even, like what's happening in your mind? What happens in your heart? I mean, this is, this is blindsided, like out of left field cancer. What's going on? Well, when I got the call, we were we were sanding baseboards at our house, and we were in a room um, that we thought would be our baby's room. We had kind of already thought how we would tell our parents. We wanted them to come in and have it painted and say we're pregnant. And so we um, got the call, and I immediately just fell. Um, it was just complete shock. I just kept saying, this cannot be true. And then I just remember praying, God, heal me. God, touch me. God, I don't know. I don't even know what to think right now. So I think it was just, you know, complete shock. Yeah. What about you, Josh? Because you're a man, you're a husband, you're a fixer. Now your wife has cancer. It was the first time that I I remember ever uh, running into something that either money, time, or talent would not fix, which for a guy, and especially for my personality, that was a a heck of a wall to run into. Because up to that point, there was no problem in life, either in our first five years of marriage or even when I was a young kid in high school working, playing, playing any kind of sport, that more time or God-given talent or money would not fix. And so uh, for, for a husband, it was a, you know, to not be able literally to do anything yeah. for whatever is, el- you know, at that point what was sure. attacking Allie was a, it was a new element. So... When you guys are driving to Houston for these treatments, it's six hours away, one way, right? Six hours, one way? Yeah. So um, I know when we went through this with my mom, I'm driving five hours to Akron, a bunch from here. In my experience, you've lived it. I've watched it. The, the hardest part about the cancer, even though the physical part is brutal, I'm not saying the treatment is not because it is brutal, the mental battle is harder than the physical battle. And the fear, talk a little bit about, you shared when the first service was so powerful, just about you, you find out you have cancer, Allie, and then just the fear, and Josh, you talked about this, of what's going to happen, am I going to die? Like, what, just talk about the fear you were feeling. So um, once I was diagnosed, I then went through 16 rounds of chemo. After chemo, I went through a radical bilateral mastectomy. 
After that, I went through six weeks of radiation, followed by five subsequent reconstructive surgeries. So it would be fair to say you were exhausted. Uh, yes, <laughs> completely exhausted, but you're so right. Yeah. Um, it was way more the emotional exhaustion. Sure. I think when I was I was deemed cancer-free on April 30th of 2012. Incredible. So that was, that was a huge yep. day. Praise God. Yes. Um, after, after doctors were, were doubtful that that day would come, not that at some point I wouldn't be cancer-free, but just with the type of cancer I had, the aggressiveness, um, it was not something we had heard to expect. But yeah, I went through a lot of anxiety, more so after I was cancer-free. I think I thought, oh my gosh, God has healed me. I'm going to be on the rooftop screaming and praising. And yes, I went through periods like that. But more often than not, it was um, the feeling of, God, why do I feel like this after you've healed me? And guilt of, I should be praising him, but yet yeah. I'm so exhausted. I'm so exhausted emotionally. And it went through periods of depression um, anxiety, of course, fear of cancer coming back. Yeah. The type of cancer I had had a high likelihood of coming back within the first two years. So those first two years, I felt like I couldn't even enjoy life because I was so fearful. Yeah. And so I battled that, went through times of suicidal ideation, and that was scary to feel, yeah. to have those conversations with my husband. And I'm, I'm typically a see-the-glass-half-full the kind of person, so to have those kind of emotions and feelings were totally foreign to me, and mm -hmm. I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. So you, you have the cancer, you go through all the treatment. Uh, what was that? How long was that period of diagnosis to cancer free? So that would have been October 17th to the next April 30th. So November, December, six, seven months. Yeah. Okay. And so then take us to the next step. Cause now we're, we're done with the treatment. We want to try to have children. So when I started chemo, we knew there was a chance I couldn't have children, but we were believing, yeah. uh, having foolish faith that God was going to protect my womb, that we would get pregnant immediately. So we had to wait two years after diagnosis because that was the time that cancer was most likely to recur. But then our doctor gave us the go ahead to start trying. And so we thought it would happen immediately. And that is not what happened. We um, tried for a long time, finally saw a fertility specialist that looked at us after a lot of fertility treatments and said, the only way you can get pregnant is from an egg donor. He basically said my eggs had been damaged through chemotherapy and that I was in early menopause. So here we are again, like we got a call about cancer. Now we're, we have the disappointment of finding out we can't get pregnant. And I, I keep focusing on what you were thinking because I feel like that's where the battle for faith is. Like what's happening in your mind and in your heart when you find out we can't have children. I remember one of the one of the big days were about halfway through IVF or treatments, whatever. Is the doctor looked at us and said, "Like you need, you should stop. Like you're halfway through, you still have half the money." Like he's trying to tell us to stop. Well, what he didn't realize is like he was dealing with two people that had been through cancer treatment. When you you don't get to pick when it stops, mm -hmm. they tell you when to stop, and so like you have to walk away from that process saying like. I guess I went to the point I was supposed to go to. I don't really know. Whereas in this process, we're driving back from Jackson, and I remember the bridge we're on. Yeah. And um, I just remember us saying that, like, this is something we can see all the way through, and if we're not supposed to have children like this, I can live the rest of my life knowing we did everything we could, regardless of... Not about it wasn't a, it didn't come down about money and not about time not about energy it was like we'll be able to walk away from this piece and go to whatever is next 
knowing we did everything we could. And so we kind of put our cancer percentage thoughts on IVF thoughts. And we just said, like, we don't care. We really don't give a honey about your numbers. Like, yeah. we're, gonna, we're going to the end with this one. And so that's kind of what we, we did start to laugh at the doctors in cancer treatment because they, they all operate off percentages like that helps you. You know, like this many people have this and like and finally we just we would literally stop them. Like we don't need to know that. <laughs> that's great. Because it doesn't matter to us It because re- it, it really didn't matter to us. So then when that doctor called back and said, Josh, y'all need to y'all need to stop. We literally just said, like, we'll be back next week. Yeah. You just you just have everything ready. Um, That's so true because everybody's experienced that where the doctor's trying to do you a favor by explaining like the worst case scenario or the statistics. You're like, I feel worse now that you just told me that. Thank you so much for doing that. Allie, like from just a mom's perspective, like I'm not a woman. I've heard people tell me about this, but like like the, the disappointment and the shame you put on yourself, not being able to have children, you go into church, like Yes, church was one of the hardest places for me because I would think you would think it would be a place you get encouragement. Of course, I got that, but there is a lot of emphasis at church placed on having children, be fruitful and multiply, Mother's Days and baby dedications. And um, it was just a reminder to me of what I didn't have and what I felt like God had put in my heart, but I wasn't getting, which made me question, okay, why am I not having these blessings that God tells me to to reproduce, but I can't, you know, well, and then that made you feel like a bad mother. It made me feel like maybe God was protecting me from being a bad mother. Of course, on my darkest days, it was, well, would I have a child and then pass away and then leave Josh as a single dad? And then, of course, I didn't want to do that. So maybe God, maybe that's why God's not giving me kids. And so it was a battle in my mind of Satan scaring me, speaking lies in my mind, um, but also us just trying to figure out, God, how do you want us to have a family? Yeah. But as, but as a, a woman who desire, desired to be a mom, it was really confusing. Sure. You know, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so anytime that you are feeling fear, it's not from God. I'm not talking about feeling hesitation or feeling, you know, challenge. I'm talking about feeling fear. You know, and so when Allie says, like, I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe God didn't give me a baby because I'm going to die. That's not from God, you know, that's from the enemy. And so maybe you're here today and you're, you're struggling to keep the faith and you're thinking all these thoughts, maybe it's, you know, I'm gonna die or this is never gonna happen. And there's just this real fear that grips your heart. We've all experienced that. Laying in the bed in the middle of the night, driving down the road and just fear grips you. That is not from God. It is from the enemy. And we've got to figure out how to fight that uh, fear to, to keep it out of our minds. And so... You guys are dealing with this. You decide you want to adopt. Take us through that a little bit. And real quick to say something off what you just said. Like yeah. we, we had to dif- learn to differentiate between self-talk and God talk. You know, self-talk is I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, I'm going to. Mm-hmm. And the God talk is God revealed truth to me. I don't, there's no room. There's no room for Satan in me. Yeah. There's no room for darkness. And like what is abnormal is calling that out. And so that would be all it is like, don't trick yourself. Self-talk looks really different than God talk. Yeah. Really, really different. Yeah. What was your question? Very good. Adoption. Uh, so we, it didn't happen with IVF. And so probably sometime in November, we started talking about adoption. And uh, Allie found this deal down in Florida that we kind of started watching. And she found a case. We applied for it. Uh, one out of 22 couples that applied, she picked us. And so in December of... 14, we got 
accepted, went and met our birth mom, and then G was born in March of uh, 15. So, yeah, that's incredible. So, an incredible story of adoption, but give us, like, tell us about the weekend or in the hospital or the, the few days there in the hospital, because that's where it got really, really crazy. So, um, Genevieve was born. We were in the hospital room with our birth mother. It was a beautiful, amazing moment. We had bonded to her immediately. Um, and so on that, she was born on a Thursday, Friday afternoon. Um, I got a call from our birth grandmother saying she was out buying a car seat. And of course we're thinking we have a car seat. We have cribs, you know, you don't need a thing. And she said, well, my daughter is, is considering keeping the baby, which of course we knew that this was a possibility. Yeah. You know, we, we just chose to have crazy faith and yeah. yes, we bought things and did baby showers, everything people told us not to do, but it was a huge, huge blow. And so we stayed in the hospital for about three more days. We knew our birth mother was still going back and forth. And then she finally came up to the hospital on a Monday, which was kind of our D-Day of us knowing if we were either going to go home with her or not. But everything had shown that we weren't going to go home with her. Josh had packed up our hospital room because he didn't want me to have to go back in there and see the car seat and see everything else. And so um, you can, you want to tell the story? So Monday she comes up there. It was kind of just a formality. We were just there to kind of finish to whatever level we could finish what we signed up for, which was to show her love even when she wasn't doing what we thought was supposed to happen. And um, so we were just there. She came to finish it. Uh, Allie actually pulled her in a, the hospital room just to kind of talk to her one last time and um, ends up that she was sticking with that decision. She comes, Allie comes with her to the waiting room. She confirms that decision to me and the birth grandmother. And so it's over. I mean, like the car's packed. We've already, I already know where we're going to hide for however long it takes us to get semi-okay. And then we would go back home. Your parents um, have already left. Yeah, mom and dad, Miss Sid had already left. They were, all the cars were packed up. Uh, it was, it wasn't like not hopeful. I'm just telling you it was over. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was past the point of, we hadn't lost hope, but we had been told no. So, um. That's really good. You and, hadn't lost hope, but you've been told no. And anyway, so, God, that'll preach. <laughs> that'll preach right there. That's good. Um. So she comes over, we go to say bye, and literally we just said, can we pray for you? Um, we just prayed over her and spoke life. We didn't say one word about the little baby. We literally just spoke life over this woman that we know this had been facing in these days some of her previous decisions, which if, if any of us came face to face with things we've done over the last 20 years, that could bring us down. And in that moment, that's kind of what she's dealing with over those days. And so we literally took a, probably a minute and prayed over her and tried to speak life. Uh, we hug her, go to say goodbye. I've said this a hundred times. But, uh, and, she, and she just turns around and says, uh, God told me in the prayer that you guys are the parents of this baby. And so literally she turns and says, uh, congratulations, mommy, to Allie. And we're just like, what, whoa, 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 we're really, we're good with this, but what, and uh, so it ended up happening, so on that Monday, G became a tailor, and it, wow. or in the law's eyes, became a tailor, yeah. and uh, yeah, that, that's how that so, happened. So like, when you say that, there may be some people in the room who are like, oh, you're dramatizing that, you're kind of overdoing that, like, you had been there three days, like, it is a no, mom is leaving, you're by the elevator, your parents are gone, it's done, you guys pray for the birth mom, and I love this part of the story, and I've highlighted it so much, but, like, 
you guys don't pray. You know, sometimes like preachers can pray, but they're preaching in their prayer. You know, they're like saying something, you know, I want you to hear this. You didn't pray like, God, change your heart, give us the baby. Like you prayed, God, help her, protect her, love her. You know, you were praying for her well-being. And which is just incredible on your part, just bragging on you is incredible. And then after the prayer, she says, God told me you're supposed to have this baby. Like you talk about an emotional swing. <laughs> you talk about faith like whiplash. That's just unbelievable. So you take G and you head back home and you have your family. Maybe the greatest battle in your life, cancer, infertility, it's over. You have your baby. Here you go. What happens next? And there's more. So we're to fall of 15, and Allie come, I come home one day from work, and Allie sits me down on the couch and hands me G and a piece of paper, and uh, she kind of steps away from me, and I start reading it, and I see a Bible verse on it, Psalms 128, and it says, you know, your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, your children will be like vigorous young olive trees, this is God's promise to all who fear the Lord, and I'm literally like, I, I look at it, and I look at her like, Shut up. Like, if this is a joke, it's a bad one. You need to stop. And so at that point, I honestly, I think where my mind really went to, I was like, my wife signed us up for an adoption, and I don't even know it. Like, that's really where my mind went. Which could have been possible. Yeah, and I was good. I didn't care. I was good with it. And uh, But as I read, obviously, she told me she was pregnant, and uh, I was. Incredible. Yeah. I was literally just, just, I just, I've seen the video, and I'm like, you goober. Why didn't you do something like, oh, <laughs> So that was so that's December of last year and obviously blew our minds. So Allie, just talk to me for just a second about, you know, here we have another swing of faith, another swing emotionally. Not gonna have a kid, but hey, I've got my baby, we adopted, we have our family, like then you get that positive pregnancy test, like what in the world's happening in your head? Yes, I, I first thought that it was something was wrong because I didn't even have any pregnancy tests. It was the old one that was a couple years old. Yeah, we've been and there too. I'm... We thought they were wrong a couple times <laughs> yes. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Take so, another one. Take another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so that was my first thought. Something's wrong. I didn't immediately tell Josh because I didn't want us to get excited. And our, our um, fertility doctor had told us if by chance we ever did come up pregnant, the chances of miscarriage or abnormalities would be high just because my eggs had been so damaged with chemotherapy. So, um, yeah, to us, this baby was such a faith baby. Um, the story that always sticks out to us is the parable or the story of the man being brought to Jesus that needed to be healed. And his friends take him and bring him through the roof. It wasn't even the paralyzed man's choice or his faith that got him healed. It was his friend's faith. And so um, for us, we had stopped praying that I would get pregnant. You know, we had seen how amazing adoption was, and we thought that was the way that God would build our family. And we had been praying for another adoption. Yeah. I had been praying for a pregnancy. And so um, it was just a real-life moment of, wow, this baby baby is, is the result of other people's faith. But I was scared. Yeah. I, 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 the whole pregnancy, even though I had faith that God would protect the baby, um, because of all the things doctors told us, it was hard to get excited along each, each bit. That's incredible that even when we are able to experience the high moments, there's still that voice of fear. Like, well, yes, I'm pregnant. I never thought I'd be able to be pregnant, but I'll probably lose it or there's going to be a problem. Just the way the enemy gets in our ear. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you, it, it's supposed to be a great time, and, but the enemy is right there in your ear. But I don't know if you caught what Ali said there's so powerful about the friends bringing, you know, the, the, their friend to Jesus. But, like, you may not be going through something right now, 
but your faith may lift your friend who's going through something, which is just incredible that, that your presence, your encouragement, your prayers, you never know what God may do through you to, to help somebody else, which is just incredible. So you're pregnant. You've got G. G's how old at this point? nine months old when we find out. So you got a nine month old, you find out you're pregnant, what happens next? So that was in December that we found out that I was pregnant. And then we received a phone call at the beginning of January from our birth mother from Genevieve. And she told us that she was pregnant. And she was wondering if we would adopt that baby. And so we were actually apart at the time. And so we called. He was out of town. And immediately our response was yes. Um, At that point, we did not know what our due dates were. And so then as we learned more, my due date was August 9th of this year, and her due date at the time was August 21st. And so it was, oh, my goodness, we're going to have twins. But, um, but, but... Incredible. <laughs> but um, but we were excited. We, I mean, you know, when you're told you can't have children and now we have the possibility of having three, it was hard for us to even contemplate saying no. Um, so, yeah, so we knew we were going to have two more kids. So somehow, I don't know who convinced who, but somehow you guys decide, because you have to be in Louisville, because that's where the birth mom was. You, you want to be here for the birth of the baby and everything. So you've got like a seven or eight month pregnant wife, Josh. You load her up in a camper and you bring her to Shepherdsville, um, which is just kind of crazy because I hadn't talked to you in a couple years. I hear the story that you're going somewhere in Kentucky and I text you. I'm like, where are you going to be in Kentucky? Thinking I can drive down and meet you sometime. And you're like... We're going to be in Shepherdsville. I'm like, that's where I live in Shepherdsville. Who comes to Shepherdsville unless you want fast food? So, um, so uh, you guys pack up, load up, bring a camper up here, and end up having the second baby, the second daughter. And then a few weeks later, birth mom has the, the third daughter. And just walk us through the, the, the few days there at the hospital. Uh, so everything went good. The birth was super fast, um, but healthy baby, healthy birth mom. Um, so that, again, it was a Thursday. Um, so we get to Friday, and somewhere around 2 or 3 o'clock, we found out she was not, you know, heavily wavering, like she's going she's gonna to attempt to keep the ba- this baby too. And the difference this time was there was no buffer between the two of us, or us and her. There was a family member last time that kind of we dealt with more until the final moment, whereas this time we're the ones that were with with her. And so we just walked in, we prayed, then we walked into the hospital room and um, spoke with her for about 20 or 30 minutes, and she confirmed that that we were out. Uh, So the difference this time is that we heard no on Friday, and so we were leaving, like it was over. And after that that 20 or 30 minutes, if, if it had come off different, we may have stayed, but after that conversation, it just, it wasn't different. It was, it was a no. And um, so we just, in that moment, we, you know, asked her for a couple minutes with the baby just in it, to say bye. And uh, so, um, in that moment, you know, all the reasons that we signed up were for that little girl, you know, her soul um, in January. It wasn't because it made a lot of sense or it was easy or, like, it didn't make a lot. Like, from the world, it did not make sense at all, really. Um, but the little girl, is, her soul is what, the only reason we sign up. It's not to fill a void for us or to act. Like. So in that moment, as we're swaddling her for the last time and 
um, putting her in the little crib like we pray over her. And it's the feeling you, what you're fighting in that moment is that you're turned, all the reasons we said we would do it, we're turning her back over when we walk out to all those dangers. Not that we were perfect, but whatever we were going to try and do. Yeah. Um, and so on Friday, we, you know, kissed her, hugged her, prayed over her, and just, um, and that was, you know, just said goodbye. And just went home. So Andrea and I actually came up to the hospital on Monday. Birth mom had already gone home and all that stuff, but came up. You guys uh, were sitting in the, the waiting room, and I just remember it was, it, it was a defining moment for me. I walk into the waiting room because I guess at this point you guys had just decided like we're just gonna go sit up there because we just wanna know, you know, we, we wanna do everything I guess we could do. We hope somebody knows we're here. We're just gonna sit in the waiting room. And so Andrew and I came up and visited you guys for lunch and um, we left after spending like forty five minutes with you guys and like you had smiles on your faces. You you know, like we made some jokes. Like I left feeling like, okay, the how? I guess my question to you is like, how? How? And on Monday afternoon, are you smiling? I mean, you were at church on Sunday. It's a no. You're smiling. You're you're you know being positive. You're hurt. We're talking about some vulnerabilities, but at the same time, it didn't feel like your world was over. It really felt like you you really had a grasp of just your relationship with God and your, and so I just want to kind of know like how that was possible. I mean, I would say for me and Alec can answer is like through can't, when God shows himself to you, a, his love is like, will literally alter who you are. But in our specific case, God had showed up like multiple times and it's, it, it's not because we're good. It's because of an intense desire to like, we want to experience whatever God has for us, good and bad, because we've seen the transformation of the after. Because I know what I was before. I got a clear picture of that. And so I've li- we've lived what it is after. And so in that moment is actually, it's a, it's a very easy decision of like, I want whatever God wants to twist out of us in this that doesn't happen laying in a bed. I want to, okay, I mean, I'm in for whatever that is. And so that's, that's really all it is, is we're just, we want, I don't mean to make it, it's, I'm saying it simpler than it is that morning going, driving to the hospital. We want whatever God wants to do in us. And then as we show love to this birth mother and the people at the hospital, like the truth is you, you just have, we have no idea who needs to see us that day and in essence see God's love. That's really, that's really it. Yeah. So baby's born on Thursday, you're told no on Friday, what happens next? So um, Saturday rolls around, no new news, Sunday rolls around, no new news, we come to church, this was just last Sunday to give you a timeline, um, so last Sunday we come to church, you know, people that have followed our story, I heard the baby was born, and here I am having to cry because they don't know that we haven't, that uh, our chances yeah, of I getting her. Yeah, I stuck my foot in my mouth, I didn't know, I'm like, walked <laughs> no. up, I'm like, yeah, you're crying, I'm like, dang it. No, but but so but that obviously it was the realness of the situation, yeah. what was going on. Um, so then Monday rolls around. We stayed at the hospital all day. We thought she was going to be discharged. She wasn't. We wanted to just see where the baby was going. We weren't sure where she would be going at that point. 
And so then Tuesday comes around, we learn baby will be discharged. So we go up there and they allow us to kind of have our last moments with her. And during all of that, we get a text message from our birth mother that says, I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to come to this decision, but I want you guys to have her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Praise God. And once again, you know, when you ask, like, how, how did you guys have smiles on your faces? Like, even when we got that text, it wasn't this rejoicing moment for us. Of course, we were happy, but all we cared about was the soul of this baby. And I think because of what we've been through, cancer and infertility and failed adoption turned successful adoption and all the other different trials, like, we've come to this place of just saying, God, I want what you want. Your will be done. Surrendering whatever that is and trusting his plan is the best plan. I think a lot of people think, oh, if when I say your will be done, like you're laying down or you're not fighting anymore. And for us, that's the fiercest thing we can say is God, your will be done. Like that's action. That's not just laying down. That's not just giving up. And so for us um, to be able to have joy in the midst of pain, I mean, it, no, it wasn't a lot of joy. Sure. And it was it was a deep down joy. It wasn't emotion, how we felt, but just trusting God. Like he is faithful when we're not he is trustworthy when we're not, and he's just proven himself over and over to us that we had come to the place, if we leave without this baby, God, we trust you. Wow. We trust, yeah, we trust you. And you're not looking at two people that walk around talking that kind of stuff like, like for kicks, like, oh, God, I want your good, God, I want, like, we're saying that today, but that's a war yeah. in the middle of that. Like, like, we want it to be true, but like, we're, we're begging God to convince us, like, make my heart so pure and full of you that this is true. You know, which is a lot of what when you hear people say it is they're just saying it, trying to convince themselves that, it's, that they really believe in God or they want his will. The difference is, can I say, God, I want your will. Not I want blank. I want your will. I want you to purify my heart, my motives, how I love. That is when you come through that through whatever you're going through, and you will be changed no matter what that outcome was. And, and that is where we've tried to, you know, keep our conversation totally different than, than what the world would do. And when you're sitting in a waiting room, like, you have to recommit to that, like, every text message, every time a nurse walks in. Like, you know, it's like you don't wake up and you say, okay, for the next week, I'm committed to your will. It's like every message, every text, like, you got to recommit to that, which is so crazy. So let me ask you this question. Five years, cancer, surgery, infertility, adoption, not going to get it, got it. Pregnancy, adoption, not going to get it, got it. What have you learned about God through this process? Well, I, I know for me is a lot of what I just said, but to reiterate of just saying, God, you're so good. Like, God is just good. And when I can't see what he's doing, knowing that he's doing abundantly more than we can ask or imagine and, tr and trusting that. Um, I, think, I think one thing that we always say is that God, God's plan for us is way better than what we have for ourselves. I'm a planner. I'm a scheduler. If someone would have told me I would have three kids under one and a half, I would have been like, there is no way. <laughs> that is not in my plan. Yeah. That is not what, what I would have asked for. But now to have 
have these blessings and our story being written the way it's been written when I wanted a five-year plan and have this baby and then take a two-year break and have this baby of just getting to that place of surrender. Mm -hmm. um, that has changed my relationship with God and my prayer life is so different. Like I've very much had those David moments of saying, God, why are you doing this to us? Stop blessing me if this is blessing. Stop, you know, all those things. We said that last week. Josh just said, I'm just tired of hurting. Like, I'm tired of this happening again. Like, it sounds like a movie or it sounds like exaggerated, but like, no, this has been our life mm -hmm. and we're tired. We want something boring, you know? Yeah. I don't want it. I don't want our story to continue. But the truth of it is, because we've experienced pain so deep, because we've experienced trials so deep, we have the opportunity for a joy few ever experience. And that's for anybody in here. You, you get to experience joy on a level that few others ever do when you go through pain so deep. And that's what we're living right now with those three little girls yeah. here at church this morning. What about you, Josh? For me, it's the, you know, what it brought out, what this process from October of 2011 to today brought out is one I wanted to control everything. I wanted to, A, know how I could fix it, and then, B, if I couldn't fix it, go ahead and tell me what's going to happen so I can start to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I don't want the process. Just let me get there. Um, and then probably the biggest thing for me in this whole process is, like, at some point I got a picture of, of God's love and and. When you get a picture of God's love, it literally, like, I saw everybody through my version of love. I saw life that way. I saw how I treated people that way. And at some point, I ran into this picture of, like, really how intensely God loves Joshua Taylor. Just Joshua Taylor. It's not about everybody else. It was about him. That, it, that, it, that literally what's found between those two covers, literally like it can be alive in Josh Taylor. Like it's that real. It's as real. God is as real now as Allie sitting here touching my leg. It's, he's more real than that. And I had never run into that before. And I'm a preacher's kid at a good church. A, a man that loves God, a pastor that loved God, loves God my entire life, and that's where I was. So literally what alter, what you're seeing two people that literally ran into something they didn't even know existed. And so like our capacity to deal with the things you've heard about actually isn't our capacity. It's that like we truly believed God was out for our good. And, and that's what I would tell you the biggest thing is like, and the last thing I would say is, like, you're not looking at people that are 10 years removed from what they're describing. Last Sunday morning, Allie's holding Vera, and she says, Josh, will you go down? And so I go down, and I talk to her, and Rob and Melissa were praying, and they prayed. And, like, even in that, I'm saying, literally what I said to Rob was like, we're just praying that God guards our heart. We want his will. We've prayed for that a million times, good or bad. We want what God wants. But if in the middle of getting what God wants, we get run over, please guard our hearts. Like, we're going to make it today. We are. We're going to breathe. Like, we have learned that Monday comes and the sun comes up and then Tuesday but like what Jason says, like we learned way early, we only want whatever's happening today because 
heaven knows I can't handle tomorrow. So that's, what I, that's all I'd give you hope is like you're not looking at two people that wrestled this 10 years ago and life's been peachy. Like life's still very, very interesting. And so what we're talking to you today is like we're still begging God to really make that take root in our hearts. Like we're not removed from that. That's, that is active. Yeah. Want your will for today. That's so good. So um, where you guys have a blog. Because I know, like, everybody's like, I want to know more of what happens next. So, what's the blog? Yes, the blog is Allie's Fight, A L Y S Fight.com. Allie's Fight.com. Allie's Fight. We're also on Facebook, Allie's Fight. And we started out to share my cancer journey. And then, of course, our life has just continued to be interesting. And so, we have a lot of people that pray. we'll, We'll share that on our Facebook stuff as well. So, can we just thank them and give them a hand for sharing their stories today? Incredible. Well, uh, I, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the emotional toll that it's taking on your heart and your life is, but I just want you to know what, what Josh said is true, is that God is real. He loves you. He loves you so much. And he has incredible plans for your life. And if, and if right now is awful, tomorrow's gonna be better than today. His plans are great. Can you just bow your heads with me and Close your eyes with me. We just want to pray for a second.